Zero Hours, Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero Hours! Hello and welcome to Zero Hours Podcast with me, Catherine Mather, today, uh, where I talk to uh, comedians and other creatives about the awful, awful jobs, and I suppose the good jobs as well they've had to do uh, to get by. Today I'm joined by technician, uh, producer, comedian, German, and dare I say friend, uh, Jenny Katzner. <laughs> Thanks for having me, friend. 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 I've not had anyone say, no, no, we're not friends. (laughs) Uh, Which is nice, but I don't know if they're just keeping up pretenses because they've all been in my house. There's something really nice about being called a friend by someone. Yeah. It makes you feel all fussy and nice inside. But there we go. We're we're Facebook friends, if nothing else. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, let's get, I mean, I think we'll just get straight into it. Um, oh, I like your socks. Oh, uh, thank you. What, what is um, the worst, the worst jobs that you've done? Um, so I've had a couple of really terrible jobs. But, like, as a teenager, I don't know if it counts, like, you doing the oh, paper no. rounds and that sort of stuff. Like, that was pretty horrendous. Every Saturday I had to, like, get up at 6 a.m. and, like, hand out the papers to the locals and um, as I got older, I was still doing that job. And then I would get around getting up early by just staying out on a Friday night. <laughs> nice. And then coming home from the club at 5 a.m., the club, and then doing the paper round then. So then it got marginally better. That's Be- resourceful. That is resourceful because it also gave me an opportunity to sort of walk off the alcohol buzz. <laughs> and by the time I finished the paper round, I was definitely ready for bed. <laughs> Um, so that was pretty horrendous, I guess. In my first ever job in university, so it took me a while to get a job in uni because I didn't have any, like, retail experience or anything yeah. like that. Um, so I found it really hard to even get, like, the simplest jobs. So what I started doing, I started volunteering in this Oxfam bookshop. Yeah. Which was actually lovely. And um, that's not the worst job I ever had. But, like, it, <laughs> it was really, really nice. Um, it was, like, my happy place every Friday. Um, yeah, it was so nice, the people who ran it. And, like, we just, like, drank tea and ate cookies. And then every so often served some lovely old people um, with some with some books. Um, and you got to take books home at the end of every shift. It was really, yeah. really nice. You stole from charity. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Um and and then through that, I got a bit of retail experience on my CV, but then the worst happened. I ended up applying for this job at a flower shop, which sounds like the most yeah. innocent place to be working at. Yeah, it sounds lovely. And fair enough, like, uh, I ended up going for a job interview, and they hired me on the spot. Nice. And I was so chuffed. I was like, this is my first ever, like, proper paid job in university. I'm a, I'm a university student, and I have a part-time job. How cool is this? That was my approach. And then that job turned out to be utter hell. I took it on like around like Easter time. So the flower shop was like really busy making all these Easter flower bouquets. Apparently that's the thing. And I was just like in this back room, like counting out like Lynn chocolates and like arranging chocolate Easter bunnies to go up these like flower bouquets. But the people who were running it were like dictators. They were the worst. And like they had like all these like Eastern European uh professional flower girls flower people people who know about flowers like just like arranging these bouquets and everyone was like there like 14 hours every day just making flower bouquets like a factory yeah like a factory and what was so awful about it is like something that could be so happy flowers and chocolate yeah turned into something that made people cry (laughs) because they couldn't fulfill 
the flour quota. Oh, that's such a shame. <laughs> yeah. And I started eating the chocolate <laughs> and they caught me and then they called me in and said, I don't think this is working out. You're never smiling when you're here and you eat all of our <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> Oh, that feels ins- well I'm always suspect like suspicious of jobs that offer you a position on the spot yeah because like how uh, how what like what about the other applicants like, yeah right yeah but also if you've made the conditions so that you don't want to smile how can you be annoyed that people aren't smiling yeah exactly right they were like oh you keep rolling your eyes at us. and I'm like well but like you're giving me reason to do that yeah you just shouted at this lovely flower bouquet maker <laughs> because she only made one flower bouquet in like the last 10 minutes like it takes a anyway it was really horrendous but like to be fair to be hired on the spot like I went in for a job I really wanted the other month and I obviously didn't get it but in my fantasy like going to that job interview I was like oh they're gonna hire me on the spot it's gonna be amazing <laughs> they're gonna like I, I like had it all mapped out in my head I was like I was gonna walk out of the interview room and I was gonna walk towards the door and then they're gonna like call after me like Jenny actually we just realized exactly who we're looking for do you want to start right now <laughs> but no I didn't get the job in fact I didn't hear from them for like three weeks and then they were like oh sorry I forgot to tell you you didn't get it <laughs> uh, isn't it weird how like because I would always assume that you're if you really really wanted a job your enthusiasm would shine right? through and they'd be like okay well maybe they didn't do the best in the interview mm. but they were really enthusiastic and I think that once we've got them on the on the ground mm. <laughs> they'll be you know their enthusiasm yeah. will carry them through I've I've never got a job that I've really really wanted yeah I think maybe once isn't that weird yeah I, I absolutely agree with you um, but then I do often tell myself what is for me won't miss me so like Mm. I guess by that logic, if that job didn't work out for me, it probably happened for a very good reason. Yeah, true. You know, like maybe I would have invested too much time into it and then I wouldn't have had enough time to do comedy or, you know, like, or maybe all your colleagues were horrible. Or also I think you have to trust employers in a way, like because they know their company and maybe they're like, oh, Catherine really wants to work here or Jenny really wants to work here. But we feel like the personality might not be the right fit. Yeah. You know, because everyone here is really deeply unfunny. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And they'll find it saddening to be here. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, by that same token, like, I was thinking that when you're applying for gigs, like, there's places that I've applied for mm. too many times for them to have just overlooked my email. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then also you've got to, ju- like, be like, okay, well, you know. Yeah. The, the sort of people that come to you all night and clearly they don't want to yeah. hear my stuff. Yeah, it's odd That's that, fine. isn't it? Yeah. I always feel like that feedback, though, goes a long way. And I know you can't really feasibly get back to everyone with feedback. Yeah. But if you don't get a job, if you don't get a gig, what would be nice to go, oh, we didn't give you the job at this point because of this. Yeah. Or we didn't give you this gig because, actually, we only look for comedians who do material on dogs. Yeah. Which sounds like a great gig. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Let's set it up. (laughs) But yeah, so I don't know. Like it's yeah, it's tricky. I think yeah, you just and and then sometimes it's plain unfair. Yeah. Like I always wonder when I go to like jobs 
job interviews for places I really want to work at, like the the job I was talking about was at the National Theatre. And I had a feeling just walking in there, like, I'm sure they've already hired someone internally Mm. and they just have to advertise the role on their website. Yeah, a lot of those places do because they get arts council. Yeah, exactly. And like, I know that's a really cynical way of approaching it and maybe not even true. Yeah. you're great national theatre. <laughs> Employer. <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. Like there was like something in me like, oh, they probably already hired someone and they're just wasting my time. Yeah. But like from their perspective, mm. if I was them, I would want to hire someone that I knew. Like, and as well, if you're a freelancer that's mm. been employed by them, mm. like you would be pissed off if they're like, uh, I know that you've worked really hard for us five days a week for yeah. two years, but we're we're bringing Gary in. <laughs> we have no idea who he is. Gary sounds like a mood. <laughs> He's got a degree. <laughs> uh, you like, yeah. But equally, it is annoying that they're just wasting everybody's time. Yeah. And giving you false hope. I know. Because there's been a few jobs where I'm like, okay, so I'm going to move to the area and it'll be amazing. Uh, yeah. And you, know, you start planning your life yeah. and like spending the money yeah. that you would earn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with this National Theatre job, it was a part-time job in the tech office just doing admin. Yeah. And I was like, I had it all planned out. I was like, all right, I'm going to work part-time in the National Theatre and then I can do gigs in the evening and then I just need to find one more job to keep me like a <laughs> and it'll be gorgeous and amazing and I'll be so happy and I'll buy lots of scented candles and I know I will have made it. Like, that's how I, like, mapped out in my head. And then when you don't get that, I had even already planned the Facebook status to announce <laughs> that I have this job now. <laughs> but that's when you know you're not going to get it, is yeah. that when you've already planned that Facebook status. Yeah. Whenever I've planned the Facebook status for something, that's never worked out. No, same. <laughs> uh, so I think the conclusion is just don't care about anything. Yes, and you'll be never. dead inside. Yeah. <laughs> you'll never be disappointed. It certainly helps with comedy. Yeah, mm. because there are too many people doing it. Yeah. And, yeah. But also, we shouldn't be deterred, should we? We shouldn't be deterred. And actually, there's something really lovely about uh, comedians who talk about something that genuinely enthuses them. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, particularly on the open mic circuit, you get a lot of sort of material of like, oh, I'm doing uh, uh, a parody of a comedian. Yeah. Or like, you know, like, oh, all these other comedians doing their material about like Tinder and like, uh, and, and being married and having children and, you know, like sort of trying to take the piss out of sort of comedy stereotypes and tropes. And like, ugh, fine, like, I'm sure they'll find a market for it somewhere. But like, why can't we just like take something that we really love talking about? Yeah. You know, and then and then just making it funny and like not worry about like if someone else has done it or whatever because at the end of the day you're adding your perspective to it. There's no way it can ever not be original. Yeah, because there's a whole parallel thinking mm. thing, isn't there? Where, like, uh, I don't know if you do, like, I've written, I think it's on two occasions, I've written pretty similar joke yeah. to other people. Uh, one was another open mic comedian, and yeah. one was Omi Chalili. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, oh my God, it was the night before So You Think You're Funny. Oh no! My heat. And I was reading a book uh, at work. And I was like, oh, shit, that's exactly the same punchline. Oh, no. Uh, what was it? Um, oh, it was a joke about my ex's dick. <laughs> oh, about it being uh, circumcised? Yeah, it was uh, missing part of his penis, but it was the middle bit. 
Um, but, and he'd written a joke, it was about his dick, but then I was like, okay, well, um, I, I panicked, I'm like, oh, I can't do this joke, and oh my god, oh my god, what am I going to do? It's one of my best jokes. Yeah. And then it was like, well, he has come at it, he wrote it 20 years ago. Yeah. He's come at it from a completely different angle. Yeah. And so have I, and like, in that case, I think, yeah, yeah everyone does have similar, there are a lot of circumcised dicks about, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's a lot of similar experience there. Yeah. But each came at different angles. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, I think... Yeah, if you don't knowingly steal something, I think that's... I hope it's fine. Like, yeah. sometimes, you know, when you write a joke and you're like, oh, that's really good. Like, I can't believe no one's written it before. Yeah. And then, like, like the other day, like, I wrote this joke about, like, how dig pics are, like, trees and forests. Like, if the tree fell in the forest and no one was around to hear... Like, did the tree really fall? Like, if a dick pic uh, got sent and then you don't immediately, like, forward it to all your friends <laughs> to ask for their opinion, did the dick pic even get sent? Like, that yeah. sort of, like, was the idea of the joke. <laughs> and I wrote it and I was like, I must have heard that somewhere before. It's too obvious to not say. Yeah. And, like, I was just sort of like, and I had a specific comedian in mind where I may have heard that joke from before. So, I like, I got in touch with her director and I was like, did she ever make this joke? And he was like, oh, I can't really remember. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> like, I feel like she may have done it. And then I tried it out on stage anyway and I felt a bit dirty about it. But I had yeah. no proof that she ever did that joke. But yeah. I, I, I just sort of, like, thought about it. It was like, if anyone said that joke, it was probably her. Mm. But then see, seeing that not even her director could remember her making that joke probably also means that maybe she ended up cutting it and therefore it's not that good of a joke anyway. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah. The way that she was doing it was yeah. not suiting her. But yeah, maybe. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that the idea is not good. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's odd that joke writing, precarious business. Yeah, but there's only so much stuff that you can talk about, mm. right? Like, it's not... You know, none of us have been, we haven't been to the moon like you can't no. write a set about that but well yeah, yeah. no you're right or, or, or you could that would be quite interesting yeah <laughs> I watched First Man recently oh yeah and the, just the thought of space terrifies me and the entirety of that film yeah uh, it was too the thought of space was too much it really? was quite overwhelming really uh, yeah <laughs> I want to write my first Edinburgh show about like Star Wars but not like Star Wars yeah. specifically but like I feel like Star Wars should be uh, it should be heavily featured but in like a metaphoric way I haven't quite figured it out <laughs> yet um but yeah I would love to see a comedy show about space yeah. I think it'd be so interesting yeah, I like a show where you learn stuff yeah. and are entertained. Yeah, I'm yeah, an idiot. And I yeah. <laughs> That's why I love Sarah really Pascoe so much, because she, like, picks, like, a really interesting topic. Yeah. And it just makes it so funny. Oh, my God, her book Animals is amazing. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I actually sometimes read it at work <laughs> in a job that I like. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, any other terrible jobs? Uh, yeah. In my final year of university, I worked at Nando's, yeah. a very popular chicken restaurant. I should have called it that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, do you want to change it? Jando's. <laughs> Jando's. 
um yeah i don't know um i guess i'm sort of like well we all become comedians to eventually become like get a black card right from nando's <laughs> i don't know what one of those is I'm oh really yeah oh okay, just so, chicken <laughs> yeah it is just chicken and this is like what was but basically a black card is this thing they give to like famous comedians or like famous people in general Ooh. um and they get free nando's for life really yeah and like russell howard has one and so the uh the uh the nando's i worked at so i went to uni in edinburgh yeah and i'm sure like you're familiar with edinburgh from the fringe but there's like um there's a nando's like sort of opposite the bethlehem theater yeah by greyfriars probably like and obviously during the edinburgh fringe that Nando's gets so busy. Yeah. Like people queuing around the block. And that's when I was working there. I was um, working full time at Nando's during the day. And then I would run to the BBC venue and work as an unpaid runner there in the evening. Oh my God. <laughs> so that was pretty, pretty stressful. Though um, halfway through the festival, uh, the Portaloos exploded and all the volunteers <laughs> ended up shoveling shit. Oh God. And then the BBC was like, oh, we can't really justify not paying them anymore. No. So they ended up paying us £10 <laughs> a day. What? Yeah. That Honestly. That's more insulting than not being paid. I think so it? too, right? I mean, like, at the end of the day, I was like, oh, this is, like, I made, like, how many days is the festival? 280 pounds. Yeah. Maybe a little bit less. <laughs> um, and I was like, this is 280 pounds I didn't think I would have. So it was yeah. kind of a nice little bonus. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. But the funnier thing about the BBC gig is I obviously, like, I enjoyed doing it so much, even though all I was doing was, like, washing mugs in the green room. Yeah. Um, oh, and then, ah, oh, this was actually a really fun job. I, um, at the, uh, halfway through the fringe, the BBC does, like, a comedy marathon. Yeah. Where they just, like, put on comedians for 24 hours straight. Yeah. And they obviously needed to staff that uh, event with, like, lots of volunteer runners. And I ended up getting the... 9 p.m. till 5 a.m. shift. Yeah. And my job was it to wait backstage when the comedian came off stage, get them to like this photo booth and have their photo taken. Yeah. But that's all I did for like, I'm doing the math in my head right eight now. Hours. Eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I'm living the dream. I'm working <laughs> backstage at the BBC. Um, but yeah, so like, no, that, that job was actually okay. Like, mine is shoveling the shit, but. Yeah. Uh, but the Nando's, the Nando's job, that was pretty terrible um, because people get really intense about what is essentially just chicken and chips. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the management also gets really intense about it. And everyone I started off there, so they opened that Nando's restaurant, like brand new when I joined. So they had to recruit an entirely new team. So at the interview, you didn't just have to go in for an interview and like tell them about your strengths and weaknesses. They made you do like tasks. So like yeah. we were like sorted into groups and we had to like write a jingle for Nando's using a popular <laughs> uh, pop song and a few like Nando's words like peri peri chicken and lemon and herb and I don't know. I'd have walked out of that. Interview. It was horrendous. No. I was like, why? Why is my ability to compose a jingle based on a Backstreet Boys song featuring <laughs> Perry Perry like indicative of my ability to do this job? Yeah, <laughs> so ridiculous. Anyway, I think we ended up like using like uh, a Backstreet Boys song. Which one was it? Uh, I want it that way. That one. I think we ended up using. <laughs> anyway, 
And then we also had to like and do like oh, we had to build like paper towers and you know all these like yeah. team bonding things. They make you oh, it was ter- it was horrendous. Anyway, so then we were trained completely from scratch, but. Right at the beginning, you could tell the people apart who were just there because they needed a student job, and then the people mm. who were there because the job center sent them, and then the people who were there that were actually looking for a career mm. had done those, and those people were the worst. They always are. <laughs> like, but like, oh no, like one day I'm going to run my own Nando's restaurant. Like, who are these people? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Please stop. Let me get off this roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird that that is what people dream of, isn't it? Like, fair enough, mm. have a career doing it. Yeah. It's, it's a good job, good money, you get your, your set hours, you can yeah. go on holiday, and, and it's lovely, but don't don't have a go at people for who have other dreams. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's so horrible. Like... My manager was always like, this is a feedback I get a lot at work, that I don't smile enough. <laughs> and I get this at my current, the, the job where we met. Yeah. Uh, I often get like, oh, you always look really pissed off. Yeah, I thought that you hated me for maybe the first few months. That's and so weird. I realised that you were just European and I was just like, <laughs> okay, we don't. <laughs> that is so weird. Like... I don't know. I don't get it. But particularly the person who points this out to me a lot is one that is, uh, you know, like compulsively, like unhappy. <laughs> so, so like, I don't understand. Like there's a weird hypocrisy there, but like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess it's the whole like resting bitch face thing. Yeah. But then like guys never get resting bitch face. Do they? they just, no, just have a face. They just have a face and no yeah. one seems to like bother with it. Like there's a bunch of grumpy people work, walking around at work, but grumpy men and people seem to assume that it's just oh, serious about the job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. The yeah. whole approachable thing. My manager at Nando's always used to say, when you're really good, you're really good. When you're really bad, you're really, really horribly bad. <laughs> um, there was this Scottish family who once ordered with me, and their accent was so thick. Oh, no. I could not understand a single word they were saying. So I kept going, pardon? What? Sorry, can you say that again? <laughs> and they thought I was doing a bit on them. What? They thought I was taking the piss, and they got oh, really no. upset. Um, and he's really angry with me. And then demanded to see my manager. Yeah. And then I had to be like, I'm so sorry. I'm not being rude. I'm just German. I don't understand <laughs> yeah. what you're saying. And they got so agitated. Damn, so you come to our country. Yeah. <laughs> and learn our weird accent. <laughs> it was so shocking because at that point I had lived in Edinburgh for like four years, but I still yeah. couldn't understand them. Oh, no. Not as bad as the time I spilled coleslaw over this like Chaz brand new tracksuit. Oh, no. <laughs> that was pretty horrendous as well. Um, I, I remember working at a children's play centre that had a cafe in it and like obviously on a Saturday it would be so busy and we'd have like birthday we'd have like six birthday parties back to back and shit like you know, it, was, yeah. it was so busy uh, and this girl tripped she was carrying beans out and she just tripped and just like launched these red hot beans <laughs> all over this woman and she's wearing like a, a four fur coat and it all got matted in her coat oh my god and like went all over this like this girl who's working there well woman just just about or because it's all teenagers yeah you know, who just didn't care 
<laughs> she was just covered in everyone was covered in beans and she just came back and she said oh my god Catherine I can't believe what's happened and she's trying to clean it up and she's going it's burning into my face <laughs> like, just just wash the beans off your face we'll send someone else to deal with it it's burning into my face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You are not paid enough to be hospitalised with burns. Oh, my God. Shit, yeah. Um, a perk, that's, I mean, that's crazy. Um, I, I, yeah, a perk at Nando's, though, was that I you would always circle the table who had, like, uneaten wings on their plates. Oh, did you get to eat them? Well, not, not really, but I would then sneak into the kitchen and go. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um... That was a pretty terrible job as well. How long did you last? Um, uh, maybe half a year. Uh, maybe longer than that. No, definitely longer than that. Because I had it in third and final year of uni. So, like, yeah, maybe a year. Yeah. A year and a half. I don't know. <laughs> it's a bit like how... So, because sometimes it's terrible jobs and you're like, no, immediately. I'm not. This isn't for me. Yeah. And then you leave. Yeah. But if that was a terrible job, what made you stay? Well, the money was great. <laughs> I mean, no, the money was terrible. I mean, like, they don't pay well, but, like, it was extra money I never had before. Yeah. So, like, it didn't pay rent, but, like, um, it would, like, finance my nights out. Yeah. And, like, I suddenly got to a point when I didn't really have to worry about money anymore. Mm-hmm. And as a student, that's a really nice yeah thing to not have to do. Um, and I eventually left because I got a job at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, mm. working as a front of house assistant for assembly, which was one of the best jobs I ever had. Yeah. Um, and then I left the, for that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> How come uh, assembly, why was that like your best job? Well, like the job itself was pretty like mind numbing, you know, like checking tickets, seating people, like yeah. typical front of house stuff. But like, I don't know, that summer, so it was the summer I left university, and I was working at the Fringe, which I adore, like the Edinburgh Fringe is like my favourite place, um, but my job was like low responsibility enough that I could mm. just have all the fun I ever wanted, you know, yeah. and like, so I would like work in this amazing, gorgeous venue in this like old church, the one on the mound, Assembly Hall, Yeah. Um, and like this really big theatre where we had all like the big acts like Jason Byrne and David O'Doherty, so like the programme was great, it was off the charts, I remember seeing like Adam Buxton there and I just couldn't stop laughing for like an entire hour, it's like who are these funny people? Um, so that was really great and like to work with like a really fun team who genuinely cared about their job and then uh that summer I had like the most exciting fringe fling I've ever had to date yeah <laughs> and I thought it was love and it absolutely wasn't <laughs> it was just fatigue and alcohol <laughs> um and yeah and I just had like so much fun I would like work there and then I'd go out and then like I'd do it all again the next day and it's just yeah. like it was like the perfect sort of level of a job I care about, but also not enough responsibility to not make it fun. Yeah. It's a nice bubble, yeah. isn't it, Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And since then, I've never really taken another fringe job that was quite this much fun. Yeah. Like, they were all challenging and wonderful in their own ways, but never, ever did I ever feel this carefree again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mm. It's just a, a nice moment in history. Yeah. It's uh, August of 2013. Oh. <laughs> Was I in Edinburgh then? Because I did Edinburgh, I was a technician 
which is a very different experience to front of house staff, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, for one of the big venues. Which one was that? Uh, it was five. Yeah, I think it will have been the same year, actually. Uh, yeah. So I just left college. Uh, I'm not going to say which venue uh, because it was a very unpleasant experience. <laughs> uh, and I had to work many, many hours every day. Um, yeah. Just sort of between sort of 12 and 18 hours a day. Oh, my God, was it Gil's uh, Balloon? <laughs> I, I couldn't possibly say <laughs> which venue it was. Um, but, yeah, I just, I really, I had a horrible time. I really didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Because, you know, as well, like, I just come from college, and they teach you how to use their equipment. Yeah. But then... You're, and you're like, yeah, I can do it. I was a whiz. I was so good with college's equipment. Yeah. But then they're like, okay, here is everything looks different. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure. And it was just like, ah, God, I can't. Yeah. And I crumbled. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, hard and immediately uh, for six weeks. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I had a couple of friends who um, took on similar jobs like that at the Fringe. And... Also, I guess, at venues that should go unnamed, but where it was basically the, like two technicians in one room mm. and um, and they were never allowed to leave. Yeah. Like that was their life. Like they yeah. started at 11 a.m. and they finished whenever late, <laughs> whenever a late show at that venue would finish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then had to like go to sleep like oh, for like three hours and then yeah. get up again. So, like, whenever they did have a bit of time off, they'd just overcompensate by taking vast amount of drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, that's not the fun way to do the fringe. And it's so no. annoying that there's a number of venues who really exploit their staff like that. Yeah. Because, yeah. There's another venue uh, that, so as I was leaving uni, uh, they'd been in touch with my uni and they were like, oh, ask your uh, students. It's such a good experience. Yeah. Um, they can come. We'll give them accommodation. Yeah. Uh, we'll uh, pay for the travel there and we'll give them like a minimal amount of money every week yeah. so that they don't starve Yeah, uh, and they can work for us for free Yeah, uh, and I was like no that's that's very exploitative yeah 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 uh, but also I've been speaking to acts who were at that venue and they don't tell the performers that they're not paying the staff Wow, uh, which I would want to know I think if I was performing at that venue it's tricky that isn't it because like there's venues at the fringe where everyone knows that the staff they're on a volunteer raid mm. and that seems to just be the acceptable thing whilst the biggest comedians at that venue are probably making a large amount of money yeah and like i can't possibly see a world where the acts wouldn't know because everyone knows yeah how underpaid everyone is yeah it's yeah I don't know like who well I suppose when I did it I yeah. got kept in work for about two years from the contacts that I made mm. so like you have to weigh up yeah the... like I always saw the fringe I never saw it as an opportunity to make money no I always thought it's a great opportunity to network to like build on my skill set to work with amazing people and to see mm. a lot of comedy yeah like and I think if and if, like, those sort of conditions are in place, then you can have a really good time. Yeah. I was just always sort of lucky enough, particularly when I started off at the Fringe, to work for companies that gave me a bit of time off. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, later on when I took jobs with more responsibility, I did that knowingly. Yeah. Knowing that I wouldn't have 
any time off. Yeah. And I was fine with that because the responsibility and prestige of the role sort of like made up for it. Yeah. But like as a front of house assistant or like a like just a venue tech, I feel like you know because like people are like, Oh, you can see so many free shows but you can't because you can never leave your venue. Yeah, I saw loads of I saw ten shows a day, but it was the same ten <laughs> shows every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For a month. And yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, especially when there's like it was a very small room and you have to be like the the clapping and laughing cheerleader. Oh god, yeah. Like, oh god. I remember <laughs> of one year I was operating a show in uh the voodoo rooms. Yeah. And like the tech booth is like side of stage. Yeah. So you're as much inside as the performer. Oh my god. And like that show was amazing and I loved every single minute of it. And it was really funny. And I was like, great. But anything will become repetitive yeah. when you've seen it like more than ten times. Yeah, every day. <laughs> single day so like by the last week of the fringe i had to like literally force myself to oh. smile through it and it was so hard but like you know like it, it makes up for it because like it, it adds to the experience of the show yeah like you don't want to see a technician who sits there like frown on their yeah. face but like that was pretty challenging yeah yeah so like because so you had worked in comedy a lot before you started doing it yeah do you think that that has sort of helped you along sort of both like networking wise Mm. and performance wise or not well I was thinking about the networking side the other thing the other day because yes I suppose I am well connected but I really worry about um inviting agents do you know what I mean like I, I probably yeah. could I don't know if they would come but I could get in touch with them and be like oh you know like come along to this gig and and some of these people are friends yeah but like do you as with any comedian do you want agents to see you so early on that's true you know like I've only been going for well I, I guess I think I did my first gig in like March last year but then I didn't gig properly for ages yeah so I really only started counting from the beginning of this year yeah so that's like makes like 10 months of comedy like no one would be ready then no so like even if i could i could make use of these contacts but do i want to because then those agents will come and see me and be like yeah we came because jenny's a friend but we're probably not gonna bother seeing her for another three years now you know and i was sort of like thinking about this i was really so i took part in so you think you're funny this year yeah and i was so gutted i didn't make it through to the final i got to the semi-final edinburgh and i didn't make it through to the final and it took me a couple of days to get over that. I yeah. was really upset. Um, but then I was thinking about it. Like, in the final, like, you have all this industry there. You have reviewers there. You know, mm. Steve Bennett is going to write you up a little something. Yeah. And I don't want to know what Steve Bennett thinks about me at this point <laughs> in my career. Yeah. You know, chances are he'll never like me. <laughs> but if he told me that now, that would be so demoralizing. Yeah. I think... With that competition as well, because it is meant for people like you mm. who are new, but there are so many people, because you could, obviously can only enter it once mm. because it's meant to be in your first year of comedy, mm. but so many people will hold off for about two or three years. So it's not a competition of new people, but also the prize isn't, you couldn't make use of it if you were new. Because you have to do your show at the venue, right? Yeah. That's it. So I think, is it an hour show? Like, I 
I couldn't. Well, it's kind of funny because, so Maisie Adams, she won it last year, and then this year she had her debut hour, Mm. and that was nominated for the Newcomer Award. I haven't seen it yet. I can't wait to see it, but it obviously has to be good. Yeah. But, like, my sneaky suspicion is she certainly didn't enter the competition in her first year. Probably not. (laughs) And so I... Uh, I was working in Edinburgh. I worked on Ashley and B's show mm-hmm. uh, the year after she'd won So You Think You're Funny. And yeah. she sold out that room before the festival had even begun every yeah. day. So that, and she, well, I don't know. I know she'd been acting, but yeah. that was, uh, and like, fair dues. Like, yeah. because I think it'd be overwhelming, wouldn't it, to yeah. be given, can you imagine? Like, <laughs> you've not even been going for a year and it's like, okay, so where's your hour? When's the sitcom coming? Oh, like, oh my God. I know. I, know. <laughs> I know. Like, it's crazy. And like, if you go on their website, it says like, it's for people who have done no more than 15 gigs. Yeah. 15, one five. And imagine if you had done those 15 gigs, if you had stuck to the rules... And then you get industry to see you in Edinburgh. Yeah. For what is maybe your 20th gig. Oh, it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, because uh, you're awful. Yeah, of trial course. and error, isn't it? Of course it? it's going to be <laughs> shit. Like, terrible. Whoa. Um. So, yeah, I guess, like, in that in that sense, working in comedy, yes, it does lead to contacts, but I don't really want to make use of them. Yeah, that's fair. Just yet. Every so often, like, there are little perks, you know, yeah. like... um even even be able to like chat with a comedian who's been going for a while yeah. in a friendly way and be like hey do you have any sort of recommendations like that's a really lovely thing to be able to do yeah um but yeah in terms of like making use of those industry contents no. not yet <laughs> how about sort of like just performance and writing having seen so much of it um i i don't know like i think I was talking to someone about this the other day about like being like comedy literate and sort of having an immediate understanding of what would work. Yeah. And I think like a lot of the new material that I write isn't all great, but it works more often than it doesn't, if that makes sense. So like I'd never like perform a joke where I didn't have an inkling that it would work. And most of the time there is something there. Yeah. So that... Because, like, seeing a lot of comedy, you just know how... And you feel, like, I feel maybe rhythm is such an important thing, I think. And mm. if you're seeing a lot, then you sort of pick up on ways to say certain things in order to make them really effective. Yeah. Um, and then also, which is what I found so helpful working as a technician in front of a house person, seeing the same show every single day, yeah. over and over and over again. And then, like, really picking up what that performer does mm-hmm. in order to sort of, yeah, just sort of the delivery of, of their style or whatever. Like, that is so educational. Yeah. Um, like, Rose Matafeo, she's, like, amazing. And I, I love I love watching her stuff. Um, and she's, like, what on the surface seems, like, all over the place. Like, she's, yeah. like, a really dynamic sort of high-energy performer. But... Like, you start to pick up, like, these, like, these things she does with her body when she says the same joke every single day. And you're like, yeah. no, this is not an accidental move of your hand. Like, you've honed that. Yeah. And when I first started off, I was like, I want to be, like, Rose Metafeo. Um And, like, I tried to sort of, like, imitate that. Oh, I didn't, I don't think I said I want to be, like, Rose Metafeo, but I really liked her style. Yeah. And I want to, like, try and 
grabs it with that and like put it in my own act. Yeah. So I did that thing she does a lot, which is like pacing up and down on the stage. Yeah. But where for her it looks controlled and purposeful. Yeah. Like my uh, my friend, the comedian Quan Wen, um, filmed me once and he was like, I have to show you what you do because you can't keep doing that. <laughs> I would basically like just like pace up and down the stage, just like looking at the floor. He's like, you're so disconnected from the audience. You yeah. have to stop doing that. And then like I sort of tried to bring it in and I like really forced myself. Like some gigs, I would not even take the mic out of the mic stand. Yeah. To just like force myself to stand still. Yeah. Um. So I guess to yeah bring it back to the point, like watching a lot of comedy can be helpful. Mm. Um, but then also it doesn't immediately translate to your own act. <laughs> yeah, I think you need to sort of look at it and be like, okay, so I like what they're doing there. And then, but find out what suits you. Yeah. As well, rather than, you know, because like, you can always tell who's gone. I like James Aircaster. Yeah. I'm going to deliver yeah. <laughs> everything like him. And then you're just another one of that. Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. You have to sort of become yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, having someone in mind, like a comedian you want to aspire to be, I think that's really, it's a really good way of honing that. Because first of all, you can look at their career and see what they've done and then try and do that as well. Yeah. Then second of all, like, yeah, the kind of comedy you like and you want to do, that will give you sort of some focus, I think. Yeah. Like, I never understand comedians who don't watch a lot of comedy themselves. And I yeah. often think, on the open mic circuit in particular, I'm like, you would really benefit from watching more comedy. Yeah, like professional comics. Professional comics, not yeah. just your mates. Because, yeah. and that that's to do with style and that's to do with, like, delivery and rhythm. But also, and we were talking about parallel thinking, mm. but there's some jokes you just have to let go yeah because everyone does them yeah and it at first it's acceptable to do them but like yeah. please don't do them anymore not after a year yeah like i can't even think of an example now but you know like those comedy cliches that people do like <coughs> oh like um uh let me tell you a story about my ex-boyfriend tom and I uh, should really start changing his name. You know, like, those sort of things. I was like, come on, like, stop doing that. And they were my teacher. (laughs) So everybody, whenever someone comes up, they're like, so Donald Trump, and you're like, just, I know that this isn't going to be an original thought. Yeah, or people like, "Um, I'm not going to bother with a segue because I suck at them, or something like that. Or like, yeah, sort of like commenting, like, on the comedy you do on stage because you haven't quite figured out how to do it without pointing out that you're doing it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, there's a couple of, like, pet peeves I have that comedians do. Like, oh, like, when a joke doesn't land on the open mic circuit, like, oh, well, that joke needs some work. And, like, and I know professional comedians do that too when they're doing new material. Yeah. But the problem is then the audience laughs at that comment. Yeah. And then you have a fake illusion of laughter. Like yeah. that joke really didn't land. Yeah, it shouldn't. <laughs> then it shouldn't. Like, and you shouldn't be like, oh, well, thank God I brought that round again because it doesn't make you analyse your material honestly enough, I think. Yeah, I agree. You always record it. Yeah. Yeah, I did a pure new material night the other night and I did not record it. I completely forgot. Uh, I hated myself for it. I realised what I had done the second I walked off stage and I, like, went to the, like, back room to, like, 
quickly scribble some notes on what I could remember worked and what didn't. Yeah. But I was so annoyed with myself. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we I do like talking about worst jobs from history. Yeah. Uh, to give it sort of perspective. Because mm. uh, I think it's quite easy to get bogged down in, you know, like bad jobs. But then you, you look at historical ones and you're like, okay, no, actually, it's not too bad. Yeah. Um, so I've got, I've got the, it's um, this book by Baldrick um, called The Worst Jobs in History, <laughs> which is on Channel 4, uh, 2,000 Years of Miserable Employment, because um, I was getting them off the internet, but then I was really scared that I was, like, duplicating <laughs> jobs ah. uh, in podcasts. So um, today we're on the Middle Ages. Great. Um, you could have been an arming squire. Uh, what is that? An, an arming squire uh, was a gentleman's gentleman in the age of chivalry, which sounds great. Is that like what, um, a gentleman's gentleman? He was a young unpaid apprentice on the lowest rung of the knightly ladder. So like, it was basically, uh, I mean, it, it would have been a child as well, because like, life expectancy wasn't <laughs> But like, you had to look after the knights, so you'd just do everything for them. But the worst bit is that like, so battles lasted for fucking ages mm. so they would have all of their armor on and stuff mm. but then like you couldn't just whip it off if you right. needed the toilet right, right, right. so they'd just like shit themselves and piss themselves oh and, you know it could last days yeah and then obviously they're full of like mud and blood as well and so <laughs> so they would have to clean all of that afterwards by hand so that it didn't rust oh god which has got to be one of the worst jobs yeah. ever, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I love yeah. it. It's like a night intern, though. Yeah, and then I suppose eventually you would get to the position where yeah. you could shit yourself and have someone yeah. else. It's like the middle-aged equivalent of like doing a tea run when you're an office intern. Yeah, but you'd have to clean armour and sand because water was too, <laughs> too precious. Um yeah, so it's horrendous. Uh, 90% of his time was spent travelling, uh, finding the <laughs> finding the enemy and surviving. Uh, so Surviving? <laughs> that has never been in a job description <laughs> that I've done. Yeah. If you can survive, <laughs> cash handling. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it should, though. Yeah. You know, like sometimes they find really like fancy ways of putting things like you'll be in charge of uh, financial... Uh, <laughs> assets. And like really what that means is you're going to like I have a cash float for selling Playtex or whatever. Yeah. And like, but like, I feel like sometimes if they just spell it out like that. Yeah. Like, and, um, and, and if you come out of this, uh, not hating your life and who you are, <laughs> you'll be fine. <laughs> like, yes. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, barber surgeon. Yes. Terrible, terrible job. Well, I don't know. It wasn't so bad being a barber surgeon, but I think it was pretty bad having to go to a barber surgeon. Yeah, that sounds like it. So the idea behind it was, well, you're a barber, you already have those knives. Yeah. You might as well also operate on people. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, why not a chef surgeon? Well, yeah, but then I suppose everyone cooks, didn't they? Well, you could be a bloody surgeon. Uh, yeah. Um, for the listeners at home, <laughs> Catherine has an array of knives on her desk. I do, but it's just, I like to keep all of my cooking utensils 
in my room. <laughs> I mean, show it. it's great. You can also find ghosts and yeah, people. I find them below my taxidermied magpie. <laughs> what of it? That's cute. Um, he's very cute, isn't he? Um, it's it's more- like. It's such a lovely array of like really innocent stuff, like this bottle that says "Friends are like stars; they come and they go, but only the true, true ones glow." Yeah. And then this taxidermic magpie. Yeah. <laughs> and then a picture of my friend uh, that Who died. My, my uncle thinks is dead, <laughs> but actually he's just in Australia, <laughs> um, which is, I mean, one and the same. <laughs> Yes. Well, he's dead to you. He is. Yeah. Um, but barber surgeons. Right. They would. So yeah, uh, they they were qualified to shave your beard, cut your hair, or amputate your leg. The red and striped pole, red and white striped pole that they have outside was like bloody bandages that they just wrapped around the pole. It's like, hey guys, wow. I can do it. <laughs> oh my god, really? Um, yeah, but what's weird is that it says, so for 1,500 years, like, uh, medicine just didn't change. They just believed that it was not earth, wind and fire, because that's a band. <laughs> uh, what is it? It's influenced by the Greek writer Hippocrates, uh, which said that the world is composed of the four elements, earth, air, fire and water. Yeah. And they just believe that you had like an imbalance of those. So if you if you couldn't eat, they just instead of like doing I mean the obvious, which is to put the food force like the food down your mouth, mm-hmm. they would try and put it the other way up. Uh and like give you What? A food enema, I suppose. <laughs> Which would have been horribly painful, and yeah. I, I think they used that as torture as well. Like they must have later on when they realised that it, it had n- obviously it had no benefit. Um, Jesus Christ! But it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Like, well, they I, put sort of like food up your up your asshole. Yeah, but like, like <laughs> what kind of food as torture? Like peas? I don't know. I'm like I'm assuming that they would match it up. They have to mash it up, right? Oh. It doesn't go into that much detail in this book, which is a shame. So we'll write to Mr. Robinson and be like, hey. <laughs> hey, Mr. Robinson. <laughs> I'm thinking of trying out this food and I think. Um, <laughs> it's the latest diet fad. Yeah. <laughs> but you'd think after one and a half thousand years, if they go, okay, well, no one's actually getting any better. <laughs> I know. Well, like, um, I I don't know if I remember this fact correct, um, <laughs> but I heard that the first like like uh, accurate anatomical drawing of a vulva mm. was only published in like the nineties. What? Yeah. Up until then, no one bothered to like study it, but like properly. But there's so much. <laughs> there's so much. I didn't even... I only found out during this year's Fringe Festival that it's not called a vagina. The vagina is a specific part of it. Yeah. The whole thing is called a vulva. Yeah. Which feels... It's Crazy. Weird. Weird, right? Yeah. But then I always think that you sound a bit pretentious if you go around saying vulva. <laughs> yeah. Like, my vulva's itchy. No. Yeah. Because it's... Yeah. We've been wrong for so long. <laughs> yeah. It's just... <laughs> Just keep on with it. Yeah. But, no, that's that's crazy that medicine wouldn't develop. That's insane. Yeah. Did you hear about that? 
and I sincerely hope that this is true, but it was shared on Facebook, so it's probably not. Uh, about um, so, like you know, in like operating theatres, were actual like fears that people just gone like what? <laughs> yeah. They were doing an amputation, uh, and then like did they? So they uh, there was a guy like helping like the assistant. Yeah. Uh, so they cut this guy's leg off or whatever. Accidentally, sort of nicked him as well he died of infection the guy getting amputated died and then someone in the like audience died of shock and it was the only operation to have a, ever have a 300 percent mortality rate what and i i mean it's probably not true is it but i really hope that it is wow that would be amazing that would be amazing yeah no i didn't see that at all <laughs> and can you imagine being that guy like oh you know gary oh you're the one who killed three people in one surgery. God, you should have hired Gary. <laughs> oh. You should have stuck with your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, there, this week. Oh, the surgeon. Um, That's creepy stuff. Terrible, terrible job. Look, there's, and if, I mean, obviously you guys won't be able to see this, but there's a picture of a man on a horse uh, carrying the thing that they would use to insert food up your asshole. Aww. I don't know why he's on a horse. I hope that they didn't do it on horseback. Just <laughs> 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 to make this even more difficult. <laughs> you would get... like run up on a horse and then, like shove it in. <laughs> you would oh my god, you'd die so hard, wouldn't you? <laughs> Be speared like that guy. Did you ever see Cannibal Holocaust? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you're in the eighties and they did like them shock films. Yeah. And it was like it got banned because I think they were like, they actually eat people. I don't they didn't. But like the image of that film is this guy who's been speared through the arsehole and then it goes up. And comes out of his mouth, and it's just that's him hang. That's the picture of the film. Uh, and for some reason, I saw that and was like, "Yeah, I could, I could watch that." Um, don't watch it. It's shit. It's terrible. God, I'm not a teenage boy. That's who it's aimed at. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't really. I used to like take a lot of joy from uh, watching like B movies and stuff, but yeah. I don't. I don't think I can pretend to anymore. No. I remember watching. Have you seen Heidi Reagan's show? Uh, Heidi was a shark. I haven't. So she talks about like shitty shark movies, and she'd yeah. probably like not be happy if I called them shitty shark movies because she genuinely loves them. Shark Nerd. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like even worse than that, like pre Deep Blue Sea, like really yeah. bad uh, shark movies. And like, and I remember watching that show and being like, oh, I wish I was that kind of person who'd be so properly content to stay home on a Friday night and just watch shit films yeah like that feels like such a wholesome lifestyle if that makes sense <laughs> it's just what i need yeah i feel if i was that kind of person i'd be a lot happier <laughs> yeah anyway um, cannibal holocaust i'll check it out yeah dude. in my pursuit to happiness yeah i mean it's it's not it's not a good film <laughs> but if you have time Okay. Then, fuck it. <laughs> well, we have a Halloween party tonight, so... Yeah. If it goes wrong, we'll just put on Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, instead. <laughs> Partying. Don't. <laughs> It'll only make the noise might worse. Yeah. Yeah. But then if it's that bad... Who cares, yeah. right? And B-movies are so bad, they're good. So yeah. it can be a B-party. Yeah. That's the deal. <laughs> um... 
Yeah, I think we've pretty much covered it all. Time. Yeah. Have you got? Are you? Have you got anything you want to plug? Have you got any gigs coming up? Uh, any? No. no. I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, I do have gigs coming up, but I don't know if it's all right to plug gigs. Yeah, I don't know like, any creative things. I, like, I don't know. I don't. Oh well, I do run a night, and our next gig's coming up on the 9th of November. Yeah. Uh, the night is called Where's Jeff. And we sort of like put on sort of uh, semi-pro, sometimes pro acts, just trying out some new things. And it's a really fun night. And afterwards, we always have drinks and you should come down. And it's at venue 504, which is in Brixton. And yeah, that's on the 9th of November. Yeah, I did the first one. You did. And that was really fun. Yeah. And uh, Catherine was very funny. Well, That's why you're not allowed back. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I actually read your read your blog post on like how to run a night. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I've done everything wrong. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I felt awful writing that because I was like, I've never, I have personally never run a night. Yeah. But also, so oh yeah, for context, I wrote my dissertation on uh, comedy, and then loads of people like, can I read it? And I was like, well, I don't really want you to be reading like directly the dissertation, so I broke it down into articles. Yeah. But, um, they, like I felt bad writing an article on how to run a night, having never run a night. Yeah. But also, I've been to enough nights. Yeah, you have an idea of what works and what doesn't work. And the problem with the open mic circuit is that so many gigs just shouldn't be a gig. Yeah. Because the promoter doesn't like create the uh, conditions for a good gig. Yeah, and so, then it can never flourish. And, and then you're like, can... but why isn't everyone coming? Yeah, exactly. And you can see, like, five professional comedians for a fiver. Yeah, like, exactly. Why exactly. Would, why would people pay to come and see <laughs> yeah. open mic? 20 open mic comedians Yeah, in, like, a really well-lit room above a pub uh, with the windows open so you can hear the buses and the crowds outside and your microphone's not working fix your microphone yeah and yeah. everyone's sat at the back yeah uh, yeah it's just, so yeah that was yeah no that was uh no it was really really interesting uh i did i read books <laughs> and stuff oh as well so, i love academic uh, stuff and comedy i yeah. get off on that i once read a dissertation about um the sort of like uh architecture of comedy clubs and what is great conditions for comedy nights and what isn't like in terms of like the ceiling layout and stuff like that and like yeah. the height of the ceiling and I was sort of like comparing like the comedy store with like the frock and bucket yeah and like other venues that I've never played in before um and yeah and then sort of like yeah sort of tried to figure out what works best for comedy yeah, and I just find it so interesting yeah if I find it I'll send it to you oh my god yeah I do someone posted it on the comedians comedian podcast group <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like uh so i got there's a book it's called getting the joke by oliver double yeah and he was the guy who did the uh so it's the university of kent i actually gigged there last night oh, right. uh, and i was like oh my god it's from the book <laughs> <laughs> but it was um yes yeah, so, like he was the person who taught the first sort of stand-up comedy university course which i think has stopped now due to lack of interest which is sad um yeah but the degree in stand-up well, I think so. It was. I think it was like a module on 
the acting course. Right. Whereas all the tabloids were like, look at this, they're bloody teaching stand-up as a degree now. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh. And, oh Who gets no. upset by that? Like, yeah. take the degree or don't. And the immigrants, you know, like that sort of thing. And, oh, <laughs> bloody Remainers. I don't know. You know, like that. Yeah. Those Something guys. to get upset about anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's a really interesting book uh, about sort of, like, the history of comedy and where it started and everything. Oh, yeah. fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would recommend. Yeah, getting the joke. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, uh, another one I recommend is The Comedy Store by William uh, Cook. Uh, it's on, on my bookshelf over there, uh, which is... I mean, it was written in 2000, mm. uh, so that's, like, 18 years well, <laughs> of yeah. present history that isn't in, in there. there. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's, like, from, like, the eight, so late 70s, uh, the history of the comedy store and how influential it was. Um, Is it still influential? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. Mm. I think you could probably get by without doing the store. Yeah. But it is a nice credit to just be like... Yeah. I like how people have their picture, like, profile pictures on Facebook of them at the comedy store. Uh, and they've had to, like, crop out the King Gong sign at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's a picture of them in the 20 seconds that they managed to grasp on stage, you know, <laughs> being booed off by 200 people. <laughs> oh, no. Have you ever done King Gong? No, and no. I don't think I can ever do that. I have never felt so alive as when I had 200 people uh, booing at me and shouting. So it's, uh, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, my self-esteem, I don't think, would be able to handle it. No, it's, um, yeah, it prides itself on being a fucking bear pit. I know, I'd really rather not. Like, I, I would open my mouth being like, hi, I'm German, and I think I'd be kicked out. Yeah, it's weird, because you have to wait six months between, uh, oh, right. like, doing it and then going back again. Yeah. And it's odd, because, like, so I went and I saw this guy, and he just went up, st- went up on stage uh, with a guitar and just went, hello, and they're like, no. And everyone just got rid of him. And then he's got to wait another six months oh <laughs> before God. he can try it again, uh, which is... But it's the nature of the beast, isn't it? They have, like, 30 acts on. Yeah. But this is the problem. Like, the audience then just, like, takes too much pleasure of just kicking you off. Yeah. You no, know, like, it's something, like, sadistic about it. So, like, even if you were going to be the most amazing comedian that night... Yeah. If the audience in that second was like, well, we've like now seen too many acts who did well, we're just going to get you off straight away. Yeah. Which is makes makes that whole thing so unfair. I think there should be a different route into the comedy store. Yeah. That is merit-based rather than... Yeah. Know. I think they do let you on if they see you and like you, but it's just like, how mm. else are they going to see you? Because they're not coming to uh, the bringer gig. <laughs> It's on a Tuesday in a room above a pub, are they? So, like... Yeah. Like, this is actually... It's very true. Like, people don't talent scout the open mic circuit. But then, like, how do you go on to, like, your progression gigs and stuff? Yeah, I suppose they have to do it, like, through you go to them. Don't yeah, that's why that's they have to true. do the gong shows. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people who've done them, not won them. But then people are like, well, no, actually, I think you were robbed there. You should have got your five minutes. Do yeah. you want to just come and do... Oh, right, okay. I know there are some people who managed to get to the store without mm. uh, doing King Gong, but I don't know how. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, <laughs> on that. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening and all that. Au revoir. Bye.